Hey friends, I'm Elena Davis, your integrative health coach, and I'm so glad you're here. This is the Health Forward podcast where each week we will be talking about different things that move us forward toward a healthier and more fulfilling life. Thanks so much for listening in. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Health Forward Podcast. I'm your host, Elena Davis, and I'm very thankful that you are here with me today. We are wrapping up Endometriosis Awareness Month for the month of March. And so all during this month, it's been my honor to be able to share different stories with you of women that have endometriosis and help spread awareness and provide education around this condition that just affects millions of women around the world. And If you have endometriosis or you know someone who does, please be sure to go back and share these episodes with them and point them to the resources on my website and um, that I've shared here on the podcast so that they can also know that they are not in this alone and they can also have access to a lot of the same education and encouragement and resources that have been put out during this month. And so actually I have a resource on my website right now that's brand new that I'm so happy to be able to offer. And it is my top five tips for managing endometriosis. It's a free download. It's called I Have Endo, Now What? And it's really just an overview of what I think are some of the most helpful action steps to take from a holistic perspective for someone dealing with endometriosis. So if you have it yourself or you know someone who has it, be sure to go to my website, yourhealthforward.com to download that. For today's episode, I'm going to be sharing two more stories of friends of mine who also have endometriosis. First up is my friend Rachel and her story is a little unique from some of the other stories that I featured on the podcast this month in that she had no idea that she even had endometriosis until her and her husband were several years into their infertility journey and had explored many other options and treatments all of which were not successful and then finally coming to a diagnosis of endometriosis herself so you'll kind of get to hear her story through that and and what treatment options were available for her in the middle of a fertility journey and i really want to highlight that because for women who are dealing with infertility 30 to 50 percent of those women have endometriosis and a lot of times they're are like Rachel and have no idea that that's what's going on and it takes a really long time and usually several procedures and thousands of dollars before they kind of get to that point of thinking that endometriosis might be the cause and so this is one of those things that's so important that we are talking about and that we're really raising awareness around so that as women we can know to start thinking through those possible symptoms and maybe any um, indicators of what might be going on a little bit earlier on to help get to that diagnosis. And so I'm really thankful that Rachel is sharing her story and that you're going to be able to hear that. So let's go ahead and jump into my conversation with Rachel. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for being here with us today. I really appreciate you being willing to share some of your story and just share your time with us. So before we get into really your endometriosis story, why don't you give us a little background? You've been on the podcast before, but for someone who hasn't heard that episode, um, maybe give us a little background of your bio, who you are, what you do, all that stuff. Okay. Uh, My name is Rachel Darty. I'm a fourth grade teacher. Uh, I've been married to my husband, Jared, I guess, for almost nine years now, and we're expecting our first child next month, a baby girl, so that's kind of been our our big thing of Mm -hmm. late. Oh, yes, for sure. Well, your story, your endometriosis story is very similar to mine in that we kind of didn't have typical symptoms before we found out that's what was going on. And then obviously in retrospect, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess that could have been that and that and that. Um, But will you kind of tell us, like, when did you first start experiencing symptoms and what were they like? 
Well, like you said, I honestly had what I thought were no symptoms until I was having trouble getting pregnant. Um, Mm -hmm. And I didn't even realize that that could be a symptom of endometriosis. So like you said, once I found out I had it, looking back, I always had like, I guess kind of a heavy flow for the first day, Mm -hmm. some pretty bad cramps, but nothing that I thought was like, Right. Out of the ordinary uh, people that I knew that had endometriosis, like diagnosed, it was like debilitating pain where they were in bed for days. And and I didn't have any of that. So pretty mild, I would guess. And I honestly can't remember when I first started having them. So really, the first symptom for you is infertility. Yeah. And then how many yeah. years in were you to your infertility journey before you found out it was endometriosis? We were, I guess, about four years mm-hmm. in. Um, and my OB knew that we were trying to get yeah. pregnant. And she never once mentioned it. We went straight to the male fertility yeah. factors. So it wasn't until we saw a fertility specialist that he was like, hey, we might need to look into the possibility of you having endometriosis. Right. So yeah, it was four years of trying before that was even like put on our radar. Right. Because for you guys, like Jared did have some issues. And so it was an immediate like, oh, that must be what it is. Right. Yeah. And then way later on down the road, it was like, okay, this yeah. still isn't working. Let's explore more. And that's when, because um, they just did like an exploratory laparoscopy for you, right? Right. I was thinking they're going to get in there and they're not going to find anything. And then we can just check that off the list. So when I woke up from surgery and they were like, okay, you've got stage three, almost stage four endometriosis and it's all over your bladder and here and there. I was like, really shocked. It was like kind of a relief because it like explained some things, but I was like really shocked. Yeah. I think sometimes it is a relief on one side because you're like, okay, that tells me there is a reason. But then when you start getting into like how complex it is, you're like, okay, but did it really have to be that reason? Because that's really not something that's simply solved. And so after your surgery, when was that? When did you have that surgery? Uh, It was February of 2020. And so after you had that surgery, then kind of what did your journey look like after that? After that, of course, you know, they were wanting us to try to get pregnant real quickly before things could grow back. Um, So we did, that's when we did all of our IUIs and all of our medicated cycles and still nothing. So it was like a year after my first surgery is when I ended up having my second surgery. So you had your second surgery, and then what did they find that time? They still got rid of a bunch of stuff, which that was the thing, too, is like we were kind of doing that second surgery, again, almost not even knowing because I don't have a lot of those like outward symptoms. We really had no idea was there even going to be anything there to remove, but we were considering IVF, so we thought, okay, we want to make sure we've got like a good clean slate, I guess to start with. So they found some not, obviously not nearly as much as the first surgery, but they found and removed some just a year later too. So after that second surgery, he was like, okay, so as far as getting pregnant, like we'll give you six more months before we look at doing another surgery, which was discouraging, but yeah. Yeah. That is so soon, especially just from the standpoint of recovery. Like your body is barely recovered completely from the first surgery in six months to turn around and do it again. It's crazy. And so then at that point, you guys kind of started to discuss IVF and look at options for that. Right. Right. Yeah. So we, it was, I guess, probably, let's see, June of, I had my surgery in February of 2021, my second surgery. Mm -hmm. And then in June is when we kind of started the process for IVF. Um, So I guess it was about five months after my first surgery that we had our successful IVF cycle. Yeah. Yes. Gosh, what a journey. Yeah. I remember so many, you know, different parts of your journey of being like, what in the world is going on? And then being so shocked when you had endometriosis, even though I had a similar story of like infertility really being one of my first symptoms, Um, still just so shocked that that 
was right. what was going on with you. And there was just no indicator. And I think that is one of the things about endometriosis that can be so difficult is that sometimes there are no indicators at all. And then come to find out this thing has been growing in your body for probably since you started your period. Like who knows right. exactly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the craziest thing is when people found out that I had endometri- endometriosis, it was like, but wait, I've always had all these regular, you know, yeah. annual exams and no, you know, no major complaints. So it was like, right. It's just really strange. There's so much that's unknown about endometriosis right. that it's hard to know what exactly triggers it in some people and not other people. And Right. And some people might have it and have no idea. I would have had no idea if I had never had trouble getting pregnant. Like, right. No, exactly. And then some people are the opposite. They have horrible symptoms and no trouble getting pregnant. Right. And so there's no correlation to symptoms versus stage of disease because you and I both had advanced stages and very little like outward symptoms as far as pain goes and had infertility. And then I've had other, you know, people that I've heard of, known, worked with who've had an early stage, like a a one, maybe an early two stage and have that debilitating pain and symptoms you were talking about. And then some have fertility issues and some don't. And so (laughs) there's just not like a perfect pattern to like go by, you know, I think that's one reason why awareness is so important and people sharing their stories is so important because, you know, it's just, it might be something that's going on with you and you not even realize it or a friend or a family member or whatever. Right. Yeah, it is. It's so crazy. And the fact that you really don't know that you have it without having like a surgery to check for it. Like that's a pretty big commitment to say, I'm going to have this surgery. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I have no idea what it will show, but that's what I'm going to do. Yes. And most people just aren't going to do that. You know, I think for you, like you were already so far down an infertility journey that it, at that point when you're that far in, you're like, well, whatever, I'll do whatever. Right. Just figure it out. (laughs) But for somebody that maybe isn't in that same scenario, like saying, hey, I think we should do exploratory surgery. That's an extreme kind of response. (laughs) Right. Yeah, for sure. So what would you say is one thing that you wish people knew about endometriosis, either people who just aren't familiar with it at all, or people maybe who have just found out that they had it or are suspecting they might have it? Um, I think kind of like we've already talked about is that it looks so different for everyone. Mm -hmm. Like if you have done some of your own research and you feel like, like maybe the doctor's just not listening to you because you don't have some of those regular symptoms, like I mean, obviously advocate for yourself, um, you know, because it does look different for everyone. And, um, you know, I did some work with you between surgeries, like just changing diet mm-hmm. and things like that. Just knowing that there are some natural things you can do to try to, I guess, not get rid of it, but right. like delay its progression. Yeah. Yeah. Trying Um, to help your body heal. Well, and I think you did acupuncture as well. Yes. Yeah. I did do acupuncture. So yeah, I mean, everybody's just different, but just do your own research and it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to have a huge impact on your life. Like there's things, simple things you can do. I think that's such a a good point to make too, because it can seem like such an overwhelming diagnosis. And I mean, obviously I strongly push um, research and education and like be as informed as you possibly can about it. But sometimes that education leads to a lot of overwhelm of like, oh my goodness, what, what do I do? You know? And that's where sometimes either working with somebody or finding, you know, like Nancy's Nook is a great, uh, resource. I don't know if you've been on there or not. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's just like, it's just a page for women with endometriosis. There's over 150,000 members on that page and they they put out like research articles they have a list of um she calls them like nook approved surgeons who are extremely skilled and knowledgeable in treatment of endometriosis and then there's just all kinds of other resources on there and so something like that can kind of point you in a direction of okay these things might be helpful for me to eat or not eat this kind of exercise might be helpful for me um, these are maybe some supplements that can help. These are alternative practitioners, you know, just like try to find someone who can help guide your journey. 
Right. Yeah. Because it can be super overwhelming, especially for me, because I was kind of in like this, I wanted something to be done quick. Yeah. You know, it's like, I didn't have years to right. look into, I was wanting to get pregnant quickly before it, before yes. it grew back. So yeah, I think having, looking for help is a good way to help not feel so overwhelmed. Yeah. Building some kind of care team around yourself, not just one avenue, you know, right. is yeah, really helpful. For sure. Yeah. yeah. That's a great tip. Well, thanks, Rachel, for yeah. spending a little bit of your uh, spring break with us. Rachel's yes. a teacher, so I'm getting her on a day off. <laughs> so hey, this is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Super thankful for your time. We are so happy and excited for Rachel and Jared. Their sweet baby girl is due in just a couple of weeks. And so we're so thankful that that is where her journey has ended up at this point. And um, just really thankful for her sharing her story around that. Up next, we're going to hear from my friend Cassie. She has had quite the extensive journey with endometriosis over the years. And I really want you to hear her story because like a lot of women with endometriosis, she was offered a hysterectomy as one of the treatment options. And especially after several other options that she was given just didn't really work and she was continuing to have the same symptoms. And that is super common. But what is also super common, unfortunately, is that she wasn't given all the information of the fact that hysterectomies are not a cure for endometriosis. You can still have reoccurrence of disease even after a hysterectomy. And hysterectomies can be helpful for some other things that can often accompany endometriosis, like adenomyosis. But for endo itself, a hysterectomy does not mean the end of the road or a cure-all um, for symptoms for progression of disease. And so I really wanted to highlight her story because, unfortunately, that is just a, a common endometriosis myth and a common option that's offered for women with endometriosis. And so I'm very thankful for Cassie sharing her story and raising awareness around that and how how her journey with endometriosis continued on even post hysterectomy. So let's get into her story. Here is my conversation with Cassie. Cassie, thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast and just spending a little bit of your time here with us. Yes. Thank you for having me. So before we jump into your story with endometriosis, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, your background, all that. So um, obviously my name is Cassie and I've been married to my husband, Chris, for, oh goodness, almost 16 years. Um, and we have two kids, an 11-year-old Carter and a five-and-a-half-year-old Callaway. Mm-hmm. They're so cute. Absolutely. They're sitting right outside of where we are right now. So hopefully quietly. (laughs) They're adorable. Um, And so with your story with endometriosis, kind of like walk us back to the beginning of when you started experiencing symptoms, what they were, what that experience was like. Well, I was thinking about this before I came on here and really I always had hard periods. I mean, I remember going right after I started my period and the doctor just being like, yeah, I mean, some people just have really hard periods. And my mother had also told me, yeah, I would be like in the bed and not getting out of bed. So it just seemed like this was something that was just going to happen. You know, this was kind of how my life was going to go. And so you just, when you're 14 years old and, you know, not really knowing a whole lot about your body, even at 14, you're just like, this is just my lot in life. So you learn how to, you know, use heating pads and take long baths and just do whatever you can to try and soothe the symptoms, but just live. Yeah. Was that your main symptom in the beginning? Just, just like really, was it like heavy bleeding periods or was it a lot of cramping or both? Well, it was both, but I also, I had PCOS and so you know, it was like, I wouldn't have periods for a a very long time. So I got put on birth control probably when I was 14 or 15 years old, just to try and help have a regular cycle, because that was something they kept telling me, well, because you're not having regular periods, it's just making them worse. 
which is probably not inaccurate, but that was just kind of like the answer to everything. It wasn't, let's investigate this further, but this is also, you know, like 1997. And I don't think there was a lot of information about endo at the time. Mm -hmm. So once you got on birth control at that age, how did that start to affect your symptoms? Like, did you kind of stop having I will say that I did not have as difficult periods. Like, um, I was having a lot of what they referred to as break ble- breakthrough bleeding okay. where this particular one wouldn't work. So they would switch me over to a different one mm-hmm. that had a higher concentration of this hormone or that hormone. Yeah. So it was just a constant evolution of medications that they mm-hmm. were giving me, um, until probably right before I left to go to college or while I was in college, I guess I finally went off of birth control entirely. And, you know, that's when I really felt like, okay, you know, a a gynecologist I went to told me, I think you probably have endometriosis. And that was kind of it. Just, hey, I think this is what is going on. And this is why it's really painful. Take, you know, this pain medication Mm -hmm. and it will help, you know, whether it was Tylenol or Motrin or a combination of them, it was just always do these things. Mm -hmm. And I don't like to take medicine just in general. Um, I don't remember to do it (laughs) when I should. (laughs) So it's, you know, I have to really be in a lot of pain before I'm willing to do something like that. So I just kind of learned how to manage Mm -hmm. the best that I could. Yeah. And how would you say that that kind of affected your life, like during that time, like being in college and all of that? Well, I mean, it definitely would just kind of set me out for a couple of days because I just really felt like I couldn't function. I mean, the exhaustion was just so prevalent and overwhelming that I could not focus trying to study or write papers or do anything and just the pain. I mean, there were times it's like I didn't feel like I could even stand up straight because mm-hmm. I was hurting. I was hurting so badly. Um, and, you know, every single time I would go to the gynecologist and I would have any type of pelvic exam, it was so painful. And that was one thing that, again, I just, it had always been painful. So I just assumed, oh, this is just, you know, people talk about that, you know, oh, the speculum and it's Mm going to be so uncomfortable. And okay. So you just are like, oh, this is just, it's, it's really painful. Right. AKA uncomfortable, but that's really, right, but they're actually not the same. It's thing not at all. the same thing. Right. <laughs> Very different experiences. Very different. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so you had that one doctor say like, I think it's endo. Like, how did you go from that to knowing for sure? So I ended up, um, once, once my husband and I got married and then we started, um, you know, we started having sex and, um, just all the different things. We started trying to have a baby and it was, well, you know, we're having difficulties because of PCOS or because of this or that, um, is when I really was like, something is wrong. Something is not working well. And, you know, I, I went to several different gynecologists, um, around here and they just were very dismissive of everything that I would tell them. Um, and, or it was like, well, yes, um, you probably have this and, this thing will help, you know, let's put you on progesterone or let's put you on back on birth control and let's do this to try and help some of these symptoms. But it wasn't helpful enough. And so it got to a point where even, you know, my marriage was affected by this because it was painful to have intercourse and that tends to wear on a marriage very quickly, not to mention just the struggles of trying to conceive and yeah, I refer to it as forced intercourse all the time (laughs) when you're trying to have a baby and you know, you're charting and you're doing temperatures and you're taking medicines and it's just, (laughs) yes, it's, it's not like, you know, out of our love, we've created this child. It's out of planning. Um, so (laughs) we tried, um, we did so much of that, that, you know, that it was just like, it just became increasingly more difficult Mm -hmm. to be intimate and that, you know, cause a lot of problems. And so I was also having just severe pelvic pain. And so the, the gynecologist that I was seeing at the time, I actually, I wrote down on here, I went, I had seven appointments in 17 months. I went back and looked at my, at my, my files from her where I, it said patient complains of severe pelvic pain or abdominal pain. And she just, you know, was, well, let's just do this. Let's just do this. And there was no real 
there was no real look or guidance for how to help help me, you know, or say, Hey, I don't know. I'm not really sure what's going on. Let's send you on to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Her solution finally was just, well, I think you need to have a hysterectomy. And she told me no one has ever regretted doing this. And I felt like that was kind of a bold statement, but also like, it was one of those things where I was just so desperate for relief and I was so desperate for answers. You know, I was having, at this point, I was having a lot of GI issues during, during my cycle. Um, and I mean, to where I like migraines and just things where I could not even function. And I had, you know, I had two children at Mm -hmm. home at the time and it was just like, how can I continue to live my life if I am, completely bedridden, but not just during my cycle, but then I was just having so much pain when I wasn't in my cycle, you know, and that's where I was like, what is, what is happening here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It crosses over at that point that you're, because like you said before, you can kind of rationalize a little bit like, okay, I know this isn't necessarily normal, but this is one week in the month. Like I, there was another person that, um, I interviewed and, you know, she had said that like during that week, or during those couple of days when her symptoms were horrible, she was like, I have to do something. I've got to change my whole life. I can't live like this. She's like, but then it would go away. And then I would get back to my normal life. And I wanted to not think about it again. Mm-hmm. But then it kept, she's like, and then it was like somehow a surprise by it every month. Like it kept happening, you know? And I'm like, yeah, you just kind of get worn out from it. But then once it starts happening outside of that week or outside of those initial days, I think sometimes that like pushes you into a very desperate place of like, I can't live my life at all. And it does. And there's like, I ended up on anxiety and depression medicine for, I mean, it was a lot of things, but I definitely looking back, I feel like just the trying to live life and feeling like I just always felt so terrible. Mm -hmm. Like physically, I felt so exhausted and I was so tired of being in pain that was unexplained. and, And you can't really... You can't really explain to people just in the general, you know, well, I'm sorry, I can't come to the birthday party. I'm not feeling well. Oh, do you have the stomach bug? No. No. Like, oh, do you you guys have the flu or you, you know, do you have, no, it's, it's none of that. And it's hard sometimes to even pinpoint or to say, this is what it is, you know, because I didn't really know at that time either. I didn't, I didn't really know why I didn't feel good. All I knew was that I feel terrible all the time and I'm just having so much pain that I can't, you know, I, we would go to the water park. We were, um, we were at Splash Country a lot mm-hmm. during this time. And it got to where I couldn't even go down water slides because the pain yeah. was so severe mm-hmm. that I knew if I did this, I would not be able to walk for yeah. a day. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it really does just start to um, affect everything else in your life. And I think I was, I think I read a statistic this week that said, I can't remember like the odds. I don't want to say it, but it was like a very high number. It was like, if not 50%, really close to 50% of women in this particular study that had endometriosis had said that they considered suicide. It was that intense. Like they lived with that level of pain that they just wanted out, you know? And I think that is also an important thing to understand is that like endometriosis is not a bad period. (laughs) Yes. You know, like it is, it goes so far beyond that and it can spill over, especially when you're having these GI symptoms and you're having migraines and it's affecting your skin and you can't be intimate with your spouse and you're infertile and you have all these things when it, when it affects every area of your life, it can drive someone to that point, you know, that point of desperation. And so I just, I think that is something that people don't understand that they really miss that. And the other side, you know, what I was thinking about when you were talking just there, like how you were like, I, you know, I didn't understand what was really the cause of all that. I just knew I felt terrible. It's not like there was anyone educating you of like, hey, endometriosis can actually cause all of those symptoms. It can cause the fatigue. It can cause the migraines. It can cause the GI. Like, unless you're being educated for that, people just think that they're like falling apart, you know, or just like super weak or something's just really wrong with them. Yeah, I was reading, um, I, I looked for it before I came here and I could not find it, but I had seen where they talked about when people go for their residencies and they're doing their OBGYN, mm-hmm. that the amount of hours that they focus on endometriosis is like so inconsequential yeah. that 
all of these surgeons who have now become specialists and excision specialists, they, they have had to be self-taught or they've had to find other people in their field that can then point them towards the research that really shows what to do. So a lot of times I'm really angry at the doctors that I've seen because I feel like the standard of care is just to, you know, put a bandaid on a gaping wound and, you know, let me give you this medication that's going to relieve, you know, this, this small problem that you're having when, you know, you've got the rest of the iceberg underneath. Yeah. That the research for that has not really been that great. And so really until the last goodness, probably the last decade, I would say like a whole lot more has been done. Mm -hmm. But even then, if you take that and compare it to, you know, something else that's super common and studied all the time, like there's just not a lot of info and for it to trickle down from like, you know, studies and papers being published to a, you know, general OBGYN, like there's not a great avenue for that um, unless they go looking for it or they're going to specialized conferences or something like that. And so it is very frustrating. It's very frustrating from a patient perspective to feel like, you know, I think um, the statistics say it takes an average of seven years to be diagnosed with endometriosis. Yeah. That's ridiculous. It is. (laughs) Um, And especially with so many women who have it, they'd start developing symptoms you know, early on, like when they first start having periods, when they're 13, 14, sometimes 11, 12, and every single woman that I have interviewed has started symptoms, um, with the exception of one, um, at very early teen Mm -hmm. years and gone their entire, you know, gone 10, 12 years before finding out what's actually going on with them. And every single one of them are put on birth control to manage their symptoms. Um, and I know that Sometimes that, you know, sometimes you don't have any other choices at the time and that's just what you need to do. Um, And so I'm not saying like never do that, but I am saying that not exploring the cause and just trying to like numb a symptom or calm down a symptom Mm -hmm. um, is not helpful for these women. And what we're seeing is that all these years later when they do decide to come off of it or have to come off of it or they want to try to have a family, then they're left way worse than they would have been if it would have been handled back here Um, and they would have been given some tools. And so it is, it is very frustrating, especially when you spent years and years and thousands and thousands of dollars um, on surgeries and medications and this and that. Mm -hmm. Yes, it really is. And just the sadness too, that it's not talked about because it is a private, you know, there, there's a level of privacy too, that, you know, you don't want to just be chatting with, you know, everybody (laughs) like, you know, when you walk into church on Sunday mm-hmm. and like, how are you? Well, you know, I'm having a lot of vaginal pain. Yeah. <laughs> that is not something yes. that, you know, A, people are expecting. Right. No. <laughs> but also it's just, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about some of these things. And so then you feel too, you know, going back to the depression and everything, it's like, you feel something's wrong with me. Like, right. why is intercourse painful? You know, why am I glued to the toilet, you know, Mm -hmm. during this, these few days when my Mm -hmm. cycle first starts, you know, why am I, why is this happening? You know, and it's just, you feel so, so helpless, but also that you are the problem, you know, you know, your body's not working correctly and then you can't have babies or you Mm -hmm. can't, you know, seem to get pregnant or to sustain a pregnancy. And so, you know, your body is the one that is doing that. Right. And then you couple that with everything else and it is, it's just a perfect, it's just a perfect storm for mental health issues, um, because of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then there's the, there's also a, a like physical, biological, chemical reaction thing happening too, um, because of endometriosis in the body that is also adding to that. And so it is, it is a perfect storm and that is one reason why. I'm so glad that there's an awareness month and I'm so glad that like people like you share their stories because there are so many women out there suffering and wondering what in the world is wrong with me? Why can't I just be normal? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And they need to know that there's a a real cause and that hopefully there are things that they can do to actually help with that. So for you, you never had an excision surgery. You went straight from like birth control (laughs) to hysterectomy, correct? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't taking birth control before I had my hysterectomy. I had take come off of that. Okay. And of course, then 
we couldn't have kids. And so, um, or we, we just weren't able to sustain a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't ovulating and we weren't able to just make the timing all work. And then when it did work, I couldn't sustain it. Mm-hmm. So we just never had any success, um, biologically having children, but, um, we decided we just wouldn't, I didn't want to take the hormones. I didn't yeah. like the way they made me feel. And so we just stayed off of it and we kept thinking, you know, Hey, maybe one day I'll just randomly get pregnant yeah. and you know, I mean, it hasn't worked for six years, but maybe yeah. one day, Sometimes it does. maybe one day yeah. it'll just happen. And so, um, but this was when, you know, we we're going through all the throes of just the difficulty, mm-hmm. um, the day to day where I was going to the doctor so, so many times saying I'm hurting so badly. And she finally was just like, let's do this hysterectomy. So I agreed to do it, mm-hmm. had the hysterectomy. And really after I had it, like it was just a partial because, you know, I was young mm-hmm. in my thirties, my early thirties. And she was like, I don't want to send you into menopause, um, which I was also not interested in doing that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, thanks. No, thank you at all. <laughs> so I, um, had that hysterectomy and then, she, you know, she had made that very bold statement that no one ever regrets doing this. Mm -hmm. And I really was hopeful. This is going to be great. And about two years later, I remember the first day that I finally like admitted to myself that something was not going well. We had, um, my whole family had gone to church together and then they were going to go have lunch, but I could not get out of bed that day. And I ended up meeting them all at lunch, but I had cried all morning because, I knew I had a really, really strong suspicion that the endometriosis was coming back because all of these symptoms I had been experiencing years before my hysterectomy were now, they were, they were coming back. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I've already done this. I had the surgery, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and so I went through that, you know, process of just getting through that I felt like a month long ordeal of just my body, you know, acting crazy. And then, like you said, I mean, the symptoms kind of went away Mm -hmm. for a little while, but over the next year, year and a half, it just continued to be happening more frequently Mm -hmm. and it continued to happen more like just more intensely. And I started having different symptoms than I'd had before. So now it was like, I was having a lot of pain in my rectum when I would go try to go to the bathroom mm-hmm. or I was having a lot of like different vaginal pain than I'd had before. Um, a lot of pain on my left side. That was the one thing it was like, I was in such agony on my left side that it finally got to a point where I could not even, I couldn't even like stand up straight because I felt like everything on that left side was going to pop. If I stood up straight, it Mm -hmm. just felt like it was stretched so tightly. And I reached out to our friend Chrissy and I was just like, (laughs) can I please take our friendship to another level? And she was like, absolutely. Because she was a labor and delivery nurse. And I just felt like she's going to be able to give me some insight. She gave me her recommendations. Um, she's like, you need to talk to Elena. (laughs) So I was like, hi, can we also move our friendship to a new place? And, um, and so thankfully you both were willing to do that. And you told me about a group called Nancy's Nook. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I scheduled an appointment with this new gynecologist and I started looking into this Facebook group and reading all this information. And so I kind of went that point. I felt like I was prepared. I knew more about the disease. I knew more about my symptoms and my own body and experience. And I, I went in and I was like, I know I don't want to do these particular things. Um, when I went in Mm -hmm. and the first three things that she told me were the things that I knew I did not want to do. And so when I went and saw her, she just said, you know, I want to maybe put you on pain modulators or we can do birth control. She said, surgery will be your last option. And if I see anything on your bowel or your bladder, I won't touch it. And I was just like, well, this is clearly not a good fit because this is like, you know, loop doing the Orlissa or Lupron. Mm -hmm. Those were, those were big things for me. I knew I don't want to take these medications because of the side effects. Also, we've discussed how I'm not good at medicine. So (laughs) that was not going to work either. Not a a great pairing. Mm -hmm. I'm not. So I just was like, this is not good. And I remember leaving that appointment 
And I was sitting in the parking deck and I just cried because I felt so defeated at that moment. Like, what am I even going to do? And she, you know, she just said what all the other gynecologists had kind of said, like, well, some women just struggle with this. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm like, but this is not normal. Like, I know it's not normal. And I'm telling all of you something's wrong with me, but you're not listening to what I'm saying. Like, you're not listening to your patient. You're just trying to get, you know, another, I felt like, you know, I'm just another checklist item, you know, like, okay, this appointment, this appointment. And she sent me on my way. Mm -hmm. And so when I left that, um, appointment, I went home and I really, you know, my husband and I talked a lot and we looked into some different, um, options around the area. And Nancy had a list of excision specialists. And so I found, um, two different ones that were kind of close to where we live, like not locally, but they were close enough. Regionally. Yes. (laughs) And they actually both were in network, um, with my insurance, which was a huge blessing because, I knew that the surgery was going to cost mm-hmm. a lot of money mm-hmm. <laughs> and we do not have a lot of money to pay <laughs> for that. But also it was kind of at that point of desperation. Yeah. We we're like, we will do whatever we have to do because I can't, can't live I can't like live that. like this the rest yeah. of my life. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Nancy's Nook, um, if you're not familiar with that. So it is, um, she has a website and she has this Facebook group that's kind of like the introduction to her, I would say. Um, it has 150,000 members. There's so many members in that group. Um, but she is a retired nurse and she experienced endometriosis herself. And, um, basically she just kind of got really frustrated with a lot of the same things we're talking about of having her own experience and seeing that in patients through the years and, and knowing that there was just so few, um, tools and resources, both for patients and for physicians. Mm -hmm. And so she curated this, a website of it's got a list of um, physicians and surgeons who do excision and so excision is when you actually cut out the endometriosis at the root and so there'll be like little lesions and spots all over the place um, and then they do they're very skilled in it and so they're able to do the bowel or the bladder or whatever or they will pull in a team of people that are trained to do that and so um it's definitely, they go beyond just like a, the training of a normal OBGYN um, or even a RE in some cases. And so she has that, but then she has so much education. Like, I mean, tons and tons and tons of articles and, um, you know, research studies and all of these things for people to really educate themselves on. So she is a huge resource. And so um, I'm, I'm like always trying to send people to that. I'm like, go read this. Go, you have to know. You have to know more about it before you walk in there because, unfortunately, this condition is one in which you have to um, do your own research and you have to advocate for yourself because there's no one going to lay out step by step for you what to do. Like, that's just that doesn't exist right now. And so, you know, being able to do that is a big deal. And so when you did that. Um, you ended up, which doctor did you end up? So I found Dr. Robert Furr mm-hmm. um, in Chattanooga. He's at Women's Surgery Center. And um, I actually went and saw his nurse practitioner mm-hmm. because I had seen in the group that for people to get in, I mean, we're talking like five or six yeah, months, months wait. Yeah. And so this was in November that I called and she was like, look, we can get you in sooner if you'll see his nurse practitioner. And I was really hesitant to do that because I had just, you know, I didn't, I knew that he just by reading other people's reviews of him and other people's experience that he would listen to what I had to say, but I didn't know how the rest of his staff was going to be. So I asked her, you know, Hey, what are these, you know, are they going to be as sympathetic? Are they going to be as, you know, willing to listen to what I'm saying? And she told me that he hand selected these two women that are his MPs to, because of their compassion and because of their, um, of their knowledge of a lot of different female issues that are not addressed well in other offices. So I agreed to see Cindy and they actually got me in the following month at the very end of December, which was like crazy. Um, so I went to that appointment and I came armed with like (laughs) so much information. I had every single pathology report, like 
from my hysterectomy. Um, I had all of my visits um, from my other gynecologists and had lists of symptoms. I mean, I just literally brought her a file of papers and just handed it to her (laughs) when I came in. And she sat there and she listened to me talk for about 10 minutes, asked me some questions, and then basically threw all my paperwork to the side and was like, so frustrated on my own behalf, like on my behalf, because she was like, I'm so tired of doctors not listening to patients. And so she said, just start at the beginning and tell me everything. Mm -hmm. So I did. And that appointment lasted over an hour. We did the physical exam, which of course she was like, listen, this is, you know, I know this is going to be uncomfortable, but I really need to see what's going on. And so it was brutal, and yeah. um, I was, like, sweating through, mm-hmm. like, the paper on the table and grabbing every air, just yeah. trying to, like, <laughs> hold on and not lift off because yeah. it was just so painful. Mm-hmm. Um, but she listened to me, and she said, okay, I've got a treatment plan, I think. And she said, you know, you've got – had multiple things going on. So she's like, I really think you have endometriosis um, and probably a lot of adhesions. Mm-hmm. And then she told me, you know, I think you've got – pelvic floor dysfunction and interstitial cystitis, Mm -hmm. um, which was something I had read up a little bit on before I went in. And I was like, I think maybe this is going on, but I'm not sure. And, um, and also, Oh, I really hope not. Yes. Also, please (laughs) no. Like I just, but (laughs) I also, you know, I told her, I said, my biggest fear is I'm going to go into the surgery and he's going to get in there and he's going to say, I don't see anything wrong. Right. And, I don't really know why you're here. And so she was like, I don't think that's the case. And I said, well, I'm just going to trust you. And so the next week they called to schedule um, the surgery and they actually had an opening like less than a month from that appointment, which was also crazy how quickly that happened. But I went in and I had um, the surgery and Um, when I came out, like the very first thing I remember asking anybody is what did he find? I asked my husband, what, what did he say? And he said, my left ovary and my bowel and my, um, my bladder were all completely connected, which Mm -hmm. explained that pain to where I couldn't stand straight. Um, and he said that my, the back of my vaginal wall and my rectum were also completely fused. Mm -hmm. Um, and he removed my appendix because it was also covered. I actually watched the surgery because he gave me a disc with it, um, or a flash drive with it on it. And I went through and watched and, you know, just seeing him pull like all of these endometrial adhesions off and like Mm -hmm. removing them, it gave me such confidence and peace and knowing that, okay, like I am not crazy, which is what I had felt for years is that I was just crazy. And I was just being a baby about my pain. And it was like, no, it's no wonder I haven't felt good. You know, this all, all of this is, is bad. Like this is terrible actually. And so, um, I had that surgery and, you know, I'm about seven weeks post-op now. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad to say that, you know, I, had a, an ovulation cycle, um, since then. And I really, when I was thinking about it, I was like, I didn't experience a lot of the symptoms that I have. I still have pelvic floor dysfunction and I do have this interstitial cystitis Mm -hmm. that I have to, to work with. And so there are some things that are all kind of, you know, it all kind of went hand in hand, but you know, just the not being able to get out of bed, the complete exhaustion Mm -hmm. during that time, um, you know, some of those things were just markedly different and it was such a relief too to be like that far out of it and be like, okay, okay. Like this is hopefully the end of it for me. You know, hopefully this is the end of my endo journey. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. And I think so much of it too is just that piece that you said of like, I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. Like that is so every single endometriosis um, client or a friend or anyone, any woman that I've known that has had that, that, that has been something they've said, like, I'm not crazy. Like, I'm not crazy because they've been kind of made to think that they're crazy their whole life, whether intentionally or not intentionally, um, because of their symptoms and just thinking like, man, I must just be 
a wimp or like yeah. my body's just I don't know something's really screwed up or you know and in reality like no your body you have like a disease mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so just that I think takes so much of the mental weight off that it even just that helps you to start healing um and it kind of takes some of the the burden off of your body um and so he there were adhesions were there actual endometrial lesions yes so there were um and you know he gave me like I said he gave me the flash drive with the surgery but there was also he gave me photos Mm -hmm. um that he had taken of some of the lesions and that was interesting too because I don't really know what they look like they were not um they they were definitely like they weren't attached to any particular organ I don't think it looked like it was just kind of in all of the Mm -hmm. yes it was just all kind of in the the adhesions that had formed Mm -hmm. around everything you know I couldn't tell exactly what 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 it was connected to per se um he did I also saw he actually cut open my ovary and looked you know Mm -hmm. around it to see because you know the thing about endometriosis which you know is that it produces its own estrogen Mm -hmm. And it's fueled by estrogen. So mm-hmm. if there's even a microscopic bit left, then it will continue to grow. And so he is a very a very thorough MIGS surgeon. It stands for Minimally Invasive Gynecologic Surgeon. Mm-hmm. And so he is well known for his ability to go in and spot deep infiltrating endometriosis mm-hmm. and just different things that a lot of other untrained eyes wouldn't see. Yeah. And I think that... You know, that's what gave me such confidence in him mm-hmm. is seeing that this is what he's kind of devoted his life to. Right. He has fellows. He, you know, he's training people constantly. Yeah. And so I feel confident mm-hmm. that, you know, he did his best yeah. to give sure. me the best level of care that he mm-hmm. could. And, you know, hopefully that means that he got it all. Right. <laughs> that's, right. That is definitely the hope yeah. and, the, and the goal. Yeah. And it, it's so it's just so important because this is not – well known to know that you can still have endometriosis post hysterectomy Mm -hmm. like you don't have to have a uterus to have endometriosis and so I so often that is so um, that's one of those things that's just uh, misinformation Um, and and because it was not known you know and so as research has moved on I mean they've even found endometrial lesions in men Mm-hmm. And so there's definitely a like genetic factor there. Like this isn't something that is tied to necessarily having um, a uterus. It is very tied to estrogen, however. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that again, so important to make sure that you're educated and informed because when you, um, you know, a lot of birth control is high estrogen. <laughs> and so yes. a lot of times, you know, you can, you can be making it a lot worse and not know that you're making it a lot worse. And, and I think that's one of my main drivers for, wanting to have these conversations is because I it just it breaks my heart to think that a woman would be doing all of these things trying to help her body and then it might end up so much worse just because she doesn't know exactly you know? um and maybe her doctor doesn't know and and so f- for those reasons it's just so important that we have these conversations so what is there something we haven't talked about that you want to mention or I mean I think that my biggest thing is one of the questions you sent me before was just, what do I want, wish that people knew? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I have lots of things that I wish people (laughs) knew, but like if I had to kind of like, you know, sum it all up, it's that painful sex and painful physical exams aren't, or painful wearing a tampon, like trying to put a tampon in that being painful Mm -hmm. versus just a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. is not normal. Um, being bedridden, during your cycle because of, you know, abdominal pain is not, that is not normal. Um, having like horrific diarrhea or, um, you know, none of, none of those GI issues like during your cycle are normal. Like these are things to cause concern and to kind of raise an alarm and a red flag. Hey, something needs to be considered, Mm -hmm. you know, something else is going on here. Um, but most importantly, you have to be your own advocate because there is so much misinformation that you're going to hear from doctors and from nurses because they don't understand it because they haven't been trained. Mm-hmm. And so when you feel like this is what's going on and you've gone and talked to your doctor and they are suggesting 
therapies or surgeries or medications that you don't feel 100% confident with, just because they're a doctor doesn't mean that they know everything. You know, they, they practice medicine and they mm-hmm. say that a lot of doctors will say, you know, we practice it because we don't have all the answers. Right. We're constantly learning mm-hmm. and medicine is evolving always. So then you are going to have to step up and be your own advocate. And you're going to have to say, these are the problems I'm, I'm facing. How can I, you know, what research can I look? And you have to find valid sources, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there is a lot of misinformation everywhere, you yeah. know, on the internet, yeah. of course, like, of course. you know, there's yeah. so much misinformation, yeah. but if you can find a good, a good group like Nancy's Nook, which, mm-hmm. you know, we're not being paid to sponsor her no. this at all. Like no. we just love her. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you can find a good group and you can find actual studies mm-hmm. that other physicians and doctors that are treating endometriosis, especially that they are recommending mm-hmm. And take that to your doctor and then they say, well, you know, I don't feel comfortable with that or no, that's yeah. not what I'm going to do. That's time to maybe say, okay, I'm going to go see somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, you're always able to get a second opinion. Yeah. Even for me, that's hard because I'm like, well, I didn't go to medical school. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't have that knowledge and that basis that they have, but I've also just learned that they, you know, they just don't know what they don't know. Yep. And so I just had to be my own advocate. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wish that every person yeah. would, every woman that's dealing with these things would yeah. do or come and talk to other people that are, you know, doing the endo hashtag or endo <laughs> warrior or whatever, yeah. like, you know, find those people. And if they're, if they're posting about it, like they're, they've been fed up too. You know, I'm, my biggest thing was I'm going to make some noise. I remember telling you, mm-hmm. I'm going to make some noise because I'm so frustrated that it took this many years and I had an unnecessary surgery Mm -hmm. that completely eliminated my ability to ever have a biological child. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, not that, not to say that we would have, but just to know that like that was taken away from me, you know, is frustrating. Um, and to know that I went and saw multiple physicians who just kind of dismissed me and, you know, I had a, when I went to the emergency room one time, I think I was newly married. Um, I actually had an ovarian cyst, but I was in so much pain. And I had been there a couple of times before mm-hmm. for, again, similar things with all of this. And I had somebody ask me if I was just looking for pain medicine. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I don't even take this. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't even like medicine, guys. Yeah. Like, It's yeah. not the issue. Yeah. I just am in a lot of pain. Yeah. And so. So common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so common. And. You know, and that's the thing. I, I, I love what you said about, you know, like it, they just don't know what they don't know. And it's not like we are not like hating on doctors here. That is not no, the point. Not at all. The point is, is that it never in any case is that your doctor's job to make you healthy. Mm-hmm. That is never their job. They are there for acute care. Mm-hmm. It is your job to in, be informed about your body and your health. And especially when you're dealing with a chronic illness, you have to. And I know it's hard when you are um, hurting and you're exhausted and it's hard to kind of get to that place of even feeling like you have the capacity to learn about it. But if you want to move forward in the journey, you're going to have to. Um, and so finding, like you said, find, go on Nancy's neck. Like it's open to anybody. Go, go find it. Like look it up right now. Um, or message me, message Cassie, um, find somebody who can point you in the right direction and help you because you, you've got to, um, partner with your physicians absolutely to to care for your body yeah I saw something a meme not too long ago and they were like life is hard there are so many things that are hard but Mm -hmm. you have to choose your heart so it's hard to live with endometriosis and you know it be untreated but it's also hard to talk about it and Mm -hmm. get the help that you need you know it's so you've got to kind of choose like do you choose the being your own advocate and getting the care that you deserve and that you need, or do you choose the heart of just living miserable, you know, maybe just month to month, maybe it's longer, you know, maybe you're struggling all the time, Mm -hmm. but choose your level of heart and, you know, and I'm going to advocate for people to choose the level of heart of being your advocate, like, (laughs) and, and finding somebody who can help you because, I feel so much better even now. And I know in another six months, once I'm done with the rest of my treatments, that I'm going to feel 
even better. And I'm excited about the new lease on life that I feel like I have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that in and of itself is worth it. Having Mm -hmm. the, having the hope of being able to live your life is is worth the heart of doing the work. So yeah. Well, Kathy, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Selena. This is going to be very helpful. I have no doubt. So appreciate it. Friends, thank you for being here today. Thanks for listening to these stories and helping as we spread awareness about this condition and just how it affects women so differently and also to just provide education around the things that may not be as well known about it as we wish that they were. And if you know someone that has endometriosis, please share these stories with them. Share the free download with them about how to manage endometriosis from a holistic perspective and just be there for them be a support person for them a listening ear help them as they navigate this condition and learn to advocate for themselves and um that will really mean more than you could ever know. If you are not subscribed to the podcast, please do that so that you never miss an episode. And if you haven't left a rating or review, I ask that you do that as well. That is hugely helpful for me in getting the show in front of more people and just helping people to get the education and healthy living encouragement that they need. And so I super appreciate you doing that. That does it for me today, friends. Keep moving forward. Go love your people well, and I'll talk to you next time. Please remember that the content in this episode is not to be considered as medical advice and is only intended as general health information. Thanks so much for listening in today. See you back here next week for another episode of the Health Forward Podcast.